So it truly is uh, a day of rejoicing. Uh, there is no day of greater significance than a day in which someone devotes their life over to God and his son, Jesus Christ. And so I'm grateful that we were all able to witness that uh, this morning. Yesterday, a handful of us also had the opportunity to witness Dustin and Rachel Tolis getting married, and that was a joyous occasion as well as we saw two people commit the rest of their lives to each other at the foundation of their faith and commitment to God. And marriage, this was all a part of uh, God's beautiful design from the beginning. As God created the heavens and the earth, and when he was done creating the heavens and the earth, he looked at all that he made, and does anybody know what he said about his creation? It was good. Not only good, but it was very good when he looked at the creation and its fulfillment. It, it was very good. And when God says something is very good, you better believe that it is very good. But the very first thing that was not good about God's creation was that man was alone. And so God had all these different animals. He had Adam, but none of the other animals uh, were, were suited for Adam and the needs that he had. So God made Adam a helper. Uh, God made the woman Eve out of uh, the rib of Adam. And the two got married and had children of their own. And ever since then, people have related with other people. No longer is there just one man alive, but we are together as a community and we share uh, this earth uh, with billions of, I think it's, is it millions or is it billions? Billions, yeah, exactly. Uh, billions of other people. And because God did not create us to be alone. We have our family, we have our friends, uh, we have uh, people that we know through school, through our jobs, whatever it may be, people through church. And so when I look at my life, uh, much of my life revolves around the relationships that I have. And a lot of those relationships revolve around my family and my friends and people associated with my workplace, the church, you guys. That, that's pretty much the people in my life there, my family, friends, and people I know through my job. And I'm guessing the relationships that you have in your life revolve around these different topics as well. You might not have all three, you might not have a job, but I'm guessing you at least fit two of these three categories in which the majority of your relationships are composed of your family, of your friends, and of the people that you know through your job. And the, these relationships, they, they become a huge part of our lives. And today, uh, we have the opportunity to talk about these different relationships that we have with one another as we continue our series on living like a saint. We've been going through uh, the book of Ephesians. We're nearing the end. We'll be going through uh, the rest of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Ephesians book of Ephesians, and we'll, we will be starting in chapter 5. So throughout this series that we've been going verse by verse through uh, the book of Ephesians, we've taken a look at how Paul has urged these Christians, these saints, to live like their calling, to live like a saint. And, and we can continue that discussion this morning in chapter 5, verse 22. But for today's discussion, it's worth repeating the context of this letter. I know we went over this uh, the first week of the series, but this letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the saints at the city of Ephesus. And Paul himself, he was a Jew who later in his life came to the saving knowledge that Jesus is the Christ. 
And uh, he was put in prison for uh, being basically an evangelist, spreading uh, the gospel message. And while he was in prison, he wrote this letter to the saints or the Christians over at the city of Ephesus. And this was around 60 A.D. Now, Ephesus, it is a a city in uh, modern-day Turkey on the West Coast. And in 60 A.D., the city of Ephesus, it was under the jurisdiction, uh, much like the, the, uh, the surrounding areas, it was under the jurisdiction of the Roman rule. The Roman Empire was nearing its peak at this time, uh, and the people in Ephesus and the surrounding areas, they were still heavily influenced by uh, Greek thought. And so here are these people at Ephesus, they have a blend of the Roman Empire and Greek thought from uh, the Greek Empire before the Roman Empire. And we should keep this in mind because there's two important details about this particular culture and society that plays a big part into our reading today. The first big detail that we should be aware of is in their culture, everyone in a household was subject to the father of the house. Father of the house, they they just had a different level of authority than everyone else else in, in the household, including their wives. And so that's a big detail that, that we need to keep in mind as we read uh, this chunk of scripture this morning. And the second big detail is that slaves were a big deal. According to the word studies, the New Testament uh, by Marvin Vincent, uh, he says that in many of the cities of Asia Minor, the area where Ephesus was located, slaves outnumbered free men. And so it's plausible that there were more slaves in the city of Ephesus than there were free men. It's estimated that there were 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. That is a whopping number. Uh, The United States, our our population is a little over 300 million. And so that's about one of every five of us would be slaves um, if we were to equate that number with the Roman Empire back in the day. 60 million. And now, oftentimes with these slaves, there was a deep sense of loyalty between uh, a master and the slave. Sometimes a slave would stay with the same master his entire life, and and there would actually be a bit of a relationship for him. There there would be a sense of loyalty uh, between the slave and the master. Then, of course, there's these other instances where these slaves, uh, they were sold time and time and time again, and uh, quite frequently treated like garbage. And uh, that, that was the society that they lived in. Life as a slave, it was still grim. A slave was not regarded as a person, but a thing that you could buy and sell uh, with other masters in the area. And so as we read uh, th- this chunk of scripture, we have to keep these two details of the context in which this letter was written. As we're going to be talking about our relationships with our family today, and we're also going to be talking about relationships in the workplace as well. And so if you have your Bibles and you open up to Ephesians 5.22, we're going to read the rest of chapter 5 just so we kind of know the the, the general idea of what Paul is trying to illustrate here uh, before any of us gets too offended here. So in verse 22, Paul writes, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her 
having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So this piece of scripture uh, has got to be uh, one of the more controversial pieces of scripture uh, in the entire Bible. As a lot of what Paul is saying here actually goes in contrast to the direction that our society is heading. Now, as we talk about the, these wives and husbands and the relationships that they have with one another, we have to remember Paul is writing to the Christians at Ephesus who are living under this ideology that the husband has total authority over the household. And now some people, when reading this chunk of scripture, they take that context and they run with it. They run with it and thinking that this no longer really applies to us because we live in a different society. We live in a different culture. There's some principles that we, that we can draw from this, but it no longer applies to us. There, there's many people uh, that uh, believe that, uh, that it was just specifically for the saints at Ephesus. I tell you right now, uh, I'm not in that boat. That, that's not exactly how I see uh, this piece of scripture. As I think we, we are very similar to the saints at Ephesus. We, we, we are Gentile believers who came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And, and I think this model that Paul talks about of marriage, I think it still applies to us today in the 21st century, no matter how uh, controversial it may be regarded. And so we're going to break this piece uh, bit by bit here, if you'll work with me. If we, start in, if we go back to verse 22, I wanted us to see the, the overarching story of what Paul here is saying. But if we go, jump back to verse 22, Paul says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body in is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything uh, to their husbands. And so Paul here, he is comparing the relationship between a husband and a wife, and he's comparing that to the relationship between Christ and the church. And so in this analogy that, that Paul goes through, the husband represents Jesus Christ and the wife represents the church. And in this analogy that Paul uses, he says that Christ is the head of the church. God, he has handed power and authority over to his son, Jesus Christ, and now Christ has authority over us. You know, I'm not the head of the church. The elders aren't the head of the church. The conference, the pope's not head of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And Paul then, he compares that in a similar stance. He says, husbands are the head of their wives. And with this model that Paul uh, issues, the wife is to submit to her husband. She is to respectfully place herself under the leadership of the husband. However, 
when, when, when a lot of people uh, talk about the scripture, they, they stop here at verse 24. And uh, I, I can't know exactly because God didn't make me female, but if I were female, I would be a bit offended. Are there any ladies a bit offended here yet? Be honest with me. No? You guys are awesome. I saw, yeah, maybe. Bart's raising Amy's hand for her. Yeah. Thank you, Bart. <laughs> But it doesn't stop there. It does not stop there after Paul uh, comparing husbands and wives to Christ and the church. Paul says, husbands, in verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let me read that again. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So in this analogy of Christ and the church, the husband being the Christ and the wife being the church, Paul says that you husbands out there, you are to love your wife just like Christ loved the church. That is a high calling. When we take a look at the, the life and ministry of Jesus in, in the different gospels, we see that Jesus, he loved the church by washing the church's feet. The night before he, he was crucified, he got down on his knees and he washed his disciples' feet, the future of the church. Christ, he loved the church by healing them of their sicknesses and their diseases. And he was, in the ladies' Bible site, we're watching the series Chosen, and it goes a bit creative here. But in the series, we saw an episode where Jesus, he spent all day healing these people, and he is totally depleted by the end of the day. But Christ did it because he loved the church. He loved the people that follow him. He was willing to drain himself to heal the people around him. Christ loved the church by providing for the church. We see uh, uh, different miracles of, uh, we can think of the fish and the bread where Christ miraculously provided for the needs of the future of the church. And on a whole nother level, Christ loved the church so much that he was willing to die an excruciating death for his church because he loves you. He loves the church. And you husbands out there, you have been called to love just like that. You have been called, if Lord forbid the situation came, you've been called to lay down your life for your wife. That rhymes there. Lay down your life for your wife. That is the love that you have been called to. And so when we take a look at this model of marriage that, that Paul presents here in Ephesians chapter 5, we have this model uh, of the wives submitting to their husbands and the husbands loving their wives. This only works if both parties hold up their end of the deal. 
Let me talk to our husbands here for just one minute. You have better love and cherish your wife. You have better be willing to get down on your knees and wash your wife's feet. You have better be willing to do all that you can to heal her in times of distress. You have better be willing to provide for her needs, and that doesn't always mean financially either. And you have better be willing to, if Lord forbid the situation came to it, you have better be willing to lay down your life for your wife. That is the love that you have been called to, and anything short of that is a failure. Anything short of that is missing our call as husbands. Let me talk to our wives for just a split second here. If you enter into marriage with a loving man that treats you with love, and I think, contrary to to the, the direction that our society is heading, I think you are called to place yourself under his guidance and his leadership. This is a model that Paul has presented. It's much, much harder for your husband to love and care and protect you if you don't place yourself under that protection, under that care, and under that guidance. He loves you. He wants to help you. Help him help you. When both sides keep up this end of the deal, marriage is a beautiful, beautiful thing. It, it, it does not need to be controversial. So many people like to make this piece of scripture controversial, but it does not need to be. We're, we're not talking about a wife being a doormat and, and letting her husband stomp all over her. No, that's not the model that Paul is talking about at all. He is talking about a model of love and respect. As Paul, he, he says in verse 31, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. During Sunday school downstairs, we're we're going through a seminar called Love and Respect based off of uh, Dr. Emerson Eggert's book, Love and Respect. And here, verse 33, that that is the backbone of the seminar, where where Paul says that each husband has got to love his wife as himself, and each wife has got to respect her husband. There's this element of love, uh, of husbands loving their wives, and an element uh, of wives giving respect to her husbands. I so wish I could dive deeper into this, but uh, for the sake of time, I cannot, but I'll leave you with, it, with this one statistic uh, from the book, Love and Respect. Research reveals that during marital conflict, a husband most often reacts when feeling disrespected and a wife reacts when feeling a love. We asked 7,000 people this question. When you are in conflict with your spouse or significant other, do you feel unloved or disrespected? What percent of the men do you think said disrespected? Any guesses? High. Yes, it is high. Yes. 83%. 83% of men said in the midst of conflict, they don't necessarily feel in love, but they feel disrespected. And the flip side of thing, of these 7,000 people, that's a pretty big sample size if you ask me. Of the 7,000 people asked, 72% of the women said that they felt unloved. 
And so men in general, they have a felt need of respect, especially when it comes to conflict. And women in general, they, they, they have a felt need of love and conflict. Both parties need both. We, we all need love and respect. But when in doubt, in general, men uh, re- rely more on that respect aspect and, and women rely more on that love aspect. And we've got to tune into that. We're different. We're, what, one party is not wrong, but we are different. Contrary to what society may be telling us today, God made me different than he made James. We have biological differences within us that, that for us this holds true. I rely on respect. She, she relies on that love. And if this intrigues you, I strongly encourage you to check out Emerson's book, Love and Respect. I get a five-star review. We're going through the seminar downstairs. We're almost done with it. We only have uh, like two more weeks. But uh, you, you get the idea where Paul, he calls the wives to respect and the husbands to love. And so this is the model of marriage that Paul provides in the book of Ephesians. And when both parties are holding up their end of the deal, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so enough about uh, husbands and wives. That, that, that is an important dynamic in a family. Another important dynamic in family is the relationship between children and parents. And so Paul talks about this in chapter 6. In chapter 6, verse 1, Paul writes, children. So talking to all you children out there, and you, you all are children. Uh, your parents may no longer uh, be living. But he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so Paul here, he's going back uh, to the book of Exodus in chapter 20, where, where Moses receives the Ten Commandments from God. And the sixth commandment of these Ten Commandments is to honor your father and mother. We, 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 we've got to honor and, and obey our parents. So all of you children out there, you have got to obey your parents, Honor your father and mother. And this is in the Ten Commandments. This is the first commandment with a promise where God tells Moses, if you obey your parents and the Lord for this is right, then it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And that's beautiful because there's a promise associated with that commandment. Now, on the flip side, parents, and Paul talks particularly of fathers. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so you fathers out there with with, with the uh, leadership, with the authority that God has entrusted you, do not abuse that. Do not abuse that to provoke your children to anger. Instead, we should be raising them up with, with healthy discipline and instruction of the Lord. We should, we should be disciplining them when, when, when they veer off from the direction that God sees fit for them, and we should be daily instructing them through the word. Daily, we, we should be going through God's word with our children uh, as parents, as mothers, as fathers, uh, as leaders of our children. If you want the best for your children, that is what you will do. This is part of the model that Paul presents here in chapter 6. And so children, if your parents ask you to do something, listen to them, obey them. Unless it goes against God's will, then of course uh, we we can uh, talk about that. But I got news for you. Cleaning your room does not go against God's will. Um, 
So obey and honor your parents, and, and there is a promise of blessing associated with that. And parents, don't provoke your, your children to anger. Instead, bring them up in discipline and in the instruction of our Lord and Savior. So that's the model of a family that Paul presents to us, where a husband and wife, they, they embody the relationship between Christ and the church and children and uh, parents. They've got to work cohesively together, respecting one another, children obeying their parents and parents, not provoking their children anger, but bringing them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so that is pretty much what a family is consisted of. Uh, husband and wife, children, and you got the siblings and, and the whole shebang there. And, and this is how, this is a biblical model uh, of what a family should look like. And so our family, that, that's one big sphere of relationships that we have in our life. Another big sphere uh, of the relationships that we have in our life is our relationships at our workplace as well. And we're going to talk about that as we close out this morning in verse 5. Paul writes, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does that he will receive back from the Lord, whatever, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. And so here, Paul, he is talking uh, about these bond servants. The, the Greek word for bond servants there is, is doulos. And it's a term basically for slaves. A bond servant is someone who is bound in service without wages. So, so we're, we're talking about slaves here where we're talking about those who do not have rights in their society. And Paul, interestingly enough, Paul, he, he, he does not go on to talk about the rights of man. He doesn't go on to talk about the rights of these slaves. Uh, but instead, he talks about the duty of each man to serve God in whatever circumstance he may find himself in. You know, eventually, Christianity did indeed supply the impulse which abolished slavery in America. But that, that, that was not Paul's focus here in the book of Ephesians. He was less concerned with the rights of man, and he was more concerned with in whatever position that we have, how can we honor God? We should always be asking ourselves this. Whatever position God has placed you in, how can you honor God with your life? And so in our day and age in the 21st century, uh, slavery is not as big of a deal as it is. There, there are way more freed people than people who are slaves. Slavery is still a thing, certainly. Um, but as far as my knowledge, none of us are, are enslaved, and I uh, hope none of us are, are masters of any slaves as well, as we have abolished that for the majority, for majority's sake. And so how does this apply to us today? We are no longer bond servants and we are no longer masters. Well, I think this can apply to our work environment where we can honor God through our work, whether you are an employee or an employee. 
or an employer. Uh, Paul outlines responsibilities that both the slaves, the workers, and masters, the, the employers, have to each other simply because they are Christians. Paul didn't tell them to rebel, but to obey as bondservants, not of these masters, but he says, as bondservants of Christ in verse six, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. And so we today in our 21st century, we can view our work, our jobs as an opportunity to serve God. It's an opportunity to work for him. No matter what your job may look like, you, you, we have a handful of teachers here that your, your uh, responsibility there is, is to train up the children. We have people in, in involved in all sorts of fields. We, whether you are cleaning toilets, whether you are engineering big buildings, whatever you are doing, you can honor God with your work. In whatever position God has placed you in, we've got to work as if we are working for the Lord, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Whether you are a bondservant, whether you are an employee, or you are free, you are an employer. God will bless you for your work that honors him. And so if you're an employee, I encourage you to see the work that you do as something to honor God and Christ Jesus. And if you are an employer, you can honor Christ and his Father God in the way that you affirm their workforce, by, by not threatening them, not being a nuisance to your employees, but serving them with gratitude and, and affirming them in their work. And so this is the model of a work environment that Paul provides for us in this book. And so if we apply these principles to our lives, principles about marriage, principles about how we, we treat our kids and how we treat our parents, and principles about how uh, we, we treat our work environment, I'm telling you, it will transform your life. Our marriages, families, and workplace environments can bring us a lot more peace and joy. And even more important than bringing us a sense of peace and joy, through our marriages, through our children, and through our jobs, we can honor God on a daily basis. It brings glory to God when we follow these principles. I don't know about you, but I long for an opportunity to honor and glorify our God. And God, or Paul here is telling us, he's saying, and no matter what position you are in, you have an opportunity to honor God with the relationships and with the work that you do. So I encourage us together as a church to glorify God through our relationships as we apply these wonderful principles to our lives. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Uh, Father, we just thank you for the relationships that you have blessed each and every one of us with. Father, I pray that you be uh, with all of our marriages here. I pray that uh, we can understand and apply these principles of a healthy marriage in our lives. Father, I pray that you watch over all of our children, all the parents here, that you help them instill a godly model of what that should look like. And Father, on top of that, I pray that, that each and every one of us in, in our different work environments, whatever that may look like, I pray that we honor you with our work, that we seek to please you first and foremost. 
So Father, we love you. We thank you for this joyful day that you have made. It's in Christ's name that we pray.